Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Well, welcome to everybody on site. Welcome to everybody watching online as well. It is a good day to be in God's house. Are you guys glad to be in God's house today? I am glad. I am excited, excited to be here. Uh, It's been a great weekend for me so far. Uh, My cousin, uh, Caleb, who actually, he's our uh, uh, new executive director that uh, you may have seen up here. He was on the pre earlier. Yesterday was his wedding. Yesterday was his wedding. Can we give it up for Caleb? Him and Lauren got married. It was a a wonderful ceremony. uh, And I gotta tell you, probably the best reception I've ever been to, including my own. It was incredible. This is why. The food that they had, the food was catered Chipotle for the main course. Come on. Like, we were all joking, me and some of the other grooms, and we were joking that, like, you were able to get back at Chipotle for every time they cheated you out of, like, the meat that you wanted or that wasn't enough guac. You were like, I'm getting back now. Like, I'm getting, making up for all of those times. So that was what was for dinner, and then dessert was crumble cookie. Come on now, come on. Like, I'm, I'm about to have a religious moment just experience, remembering it right now. Uh, but it was, it was a blast, so happy for him. Uh, uh, so it is, it's, it's been a good weekend, good start to the weekend, and today, this is a sermon series I've been really pumped to preach. It's gonna be a, a lot more of like a study uh, some of my sermons can be more like, yay, let's go charge hell with a water gun, right? Like that's, that's how I usually like to preach. Uh, but today in this series is gonna be a little bit more kind of study. We're gonna be studying the book of Hebrews. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited. There's gonna be a lot of scripture that we're gonna be looking at today as well. So I won't waste another minute. Let's go ahead and let's hop in. Today we are kicking off this series called Better, a study of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books in all of scripture. I love the book of Hebrews. It is a mind-blowing book. You can spend a lot of time just in Hebrews, reading through it and sifting through everything that the author has to tell us. Let me give you just a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. Uh, Number one, it was written in about 63 AD. So about 30 years after Jesus's arrest, death, and resurrection, about 30 years later, this book was written. Uh, we know it was written by uh, about that time due to dating it, uh, among other things that we see in antiquity. So it was uh, written around that time. But here's the thing, we don't know who wrote it. It's one of the most famous things about the book of Hebrews is that we don't know the author. Now, some people, and this is probably the most popular view, people say that the apostle Paul wrote it. I don't think so. It doesn't read like the Apostle Paul's other letters. The way he argues is different. The way he cites Old Testament sources is different. The way he constructs a paragraph, it's, it's just all different. It doesn't feel like Paul, but we don't know who it is. We don't know who it is. Uh, uh, there's a whole lot of, if you wanna go down a rabbit trail, go online and type in who is the author of Hebrews and you'll go down a rabbit trail of a lot of different ideas that people have about that. But what's important isn't the author, what's important is the content. And let me tell you, there is a lot of fantastic content that we're gonna try to cram into four weeks of this series. Uh, in fact, this is the crazy thing, there's so much good content, but honestly, you can get bogged down and you can really just settle in to just a few verses and have that be your study point for the day. 
And that's actually what's gonna be happening today. We're gonna be studying and looking at just three verses today from Hebrews chapter one, and that's where we're gonna be focusing in on. And as we get ready to hop into our verses for the day, this is what I wanna say. This is kind of the, the, the statement for the entire series. If I were to sum up the book of Hebrews uh, in a sentence, and of course this isn't perfect because there's little other things it talks about, but if I were to sum up Hebrews in one sentence to kind of give a thesis statement for what is the book of Hebrews about? What's the argument that it's making? It would be this. Jesus has come to change our lives for the better and for forever. That's what Hebrews is trying to get across. That once Jesus enters the scene, once Jesus steps onto the pages of history, everything changes, everything. Everything has changed for forever and for the better. So let's go ahead and let's hop in. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to his son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's good stuff, isn't it? That is good, good stuff we're reading right there. Jesus is God himself, the son. He is God himself. He radiates God's glory and he expresses the very character, the very nature and the very essence of God himself. Jesus changes everything for the better and for forever. Who could testify to that and say amen? Who could say, yes, I have experienced that Jesus changes everything for the better and for forever. I like to think of it this way. It's kind of like... Um, when we try to fix things on our own, through our own will, through our own good works, when we try to do things on our own, it's just a temporary fix, right? It's, it's behavior modification. We're not actively really doing anything transformative. We're just doing little fixes here and there. And what it makes me think is like, if you have uh, not great eyesight like myself, um, you'll, you'll get glasses and they may last you for a year, two, maybe three, but eventually, even with the glasses, you're gonna start Squinting, right? Because eventually your, your prescription isn't gonna hold up because your eyes have gotten even worse. And then after that, you'll get new ones and then they'll get even worse and even worse. Before you know it, your lenses are about this thick, right? You're looking out of a like periscope or something like that because those are all temporary fixes. Has anyone in here ever gotten LASIK eye surgery? We have a few people a few people who can probably, from where you're sitting, read what this says, right? Um, LASIK eye surgery is absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I would love to get it. They just need to figure out a way for you to be able to have the surgery while you're knocked out. Because the whole like, no, you stay conscious and you keep your eye open while they shoot it with a laser. I'm like, yeah, nope. <laughs> like, I'll just keep getting the glasses, I guess, right? But it is absolutely incredible how this thing works and what it does for people, for the majority of people who get LASIK. Now there's a few here and there who you may need to go back in in a 10 years or something like that for another like kind of post-op surgery. But for most people, you're done. Like that's it. It, it, it permanently corrects your vision. It's just changed now for the better, for forever. That is what Jesus is for us. Jesus, he, he takes away our temporary fixes that keep on, they get us by for a little bit, but not really, and they're not really that good, right? They, they get dirty and they get scratched. 
that, that's our own temporary will, our own temporary way. Jesus comes in. He changes things for forever and for the better. And that's what we're gonna see, not just today, but especially in the coming weeks as we study the book of Hebrews. Uh, our title for today, if you're a note taker, is You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Who instantly had the song come in your head? You ain't seen nothing yet, right? Yeah, instantly, it came, <laughs> came up in your head. Now, here's, here's kind of the funny thing. Depending on how dyed in the wool of a Christian you are, you may understand this, or if you're relatively new or something, you may be like, what? Really? People think this is controversial? What we're going to be talking about today, what we're going to be talking about um, is something that it's kind of crazy, but it is controversial. It is controversial. Because what we're going to be talking about today is what we just read, that yes, Jesus sustains us. Yes, Jesus cleanses us. But Jesus also does something that the writer of Hebrews talked about, and this is going to be where we're going to settle in today. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us who God is. I know it sounds crazy. This is a controversial statement in some circles. Because you see, what the writer of Hebrews is gonna go on to make a case for is that when Jesus comes, everything is better. Everything is better than it was. Everything is heightened than it was. And this can be upsetting to some people because some people look at this and they go, well, hold on, Pastor Jacob, pump the brakes. I know the technicality, Jesus is God, I get it. But Jesus, in the sense of Jesus, only seems to appear on the pages of Scripture in the book of Matthew. We've already got the whole Old Testament. So you're saying things get better when Jesus steps onto the pages of Scripture. Jesus doesn't step in until Matthew, until the New Testament. So are you trying to say the New Testament is older than the, or is better than the Old Testament? Like, are you trying to say one is better than the other? Are you trying to pit one against the other? In fact, there's a, there's a belief that people will call uh, other Christians red-letter-only Christians, which basically means, like, the words of Jesus, right, the red letter, that that's the only thing that matters. And so you may be thinking, is that what Pastor Jacob's getting into today? Is that what we're talking about, that, that he's better? That is not what I'm saying. At Cornerstone, we believe the Bible from Genesis to maps, right, from, from beginning to end is, again, that's one of those things, however long you've been around the church, you probably got that. If not, you're like, what are you talking about, maps? Uh, <laughs> but we, we believe the entire Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that it's trustworthy, that it's, it's trustworthy and that what it affirms, we can affirm, right? That's, that's what we believe about God's word. So, no, I'm not saying once Jesus steps on the pages of scripture, scripture suddenly better. I am saying it's clearer. It's clearer. What, what was a shadow, what was like, wow, that's kind of, hmm, how do I make sense of that? And that's kind of confusing and I don't really understand this. What was once a shadow suddenly comes into crystal clear view when Jesus steps onto the pages of scripture. You see, the Old Testament scriptures, they are a revelation of God. They are in the inspired word of God. They are a revelation of God, but they're not a perfect revelation. They're not a 1080 HD, the heightened, the, like you're seeing everything, you're seeing every angle. They're not that. And don't let me make that argument. Let's let scripture make that argument. Let's, let's dive into this a little bit. This is what it says again in Hebrews 1.3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his 
command. Jesus himself is expressing the very character, the very nature. The Greek words here talk about the very essence, the core nature, deep down, who God is. Jesus expresses it. He expresses it. He shows us who God is. He expresses God's very nature. Now, you see, whenever we look at uh, Old Testament scripture, what we see is we see a picture of God, but it's not a very clear picture of God at times. Let's, let's look at the book of Exodus real quick. We're gonna look at Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 15 through 20. And this is, uh, 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 what we're about to read is kind of an overarching theme that we then start to see all over the Old Testament scriptures. Moses is having a conversation with God. Uh, they're having this conversation. They're getting ready to move on to a new place. And this is where we pick up in verse 15. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. No one may see me and live. What is happening here and what we see is something that pops up over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament is that no one can fully look upon God. If you notice, God always, uh, uh, he always has a mediator, he always has something that it's God, this mediator, and then man, because we, we can't fully look upon him. And so here God is basically telling Moses, hey, look, I'm gonna be passing by. At best, you can get a glimpse of my back. That's all you can see. Like, you, you cannot look fully upon me and live. And we see this over and over again. Think about when God first appeared to Moses. How did he appear to him? Did he see a figure standing there? No, a burning bush. And God spoke through that, through this intermediary, through this mediator that's mediating God's presence to mankind. We see it again when the people of Israel are navigating their way through the wilderness. God, by day, his presence appears as a pillar of uh, a fire at night. It's a pillar of fire guiding them during the day. It's a cloud that's guiding them. It's God's presence. We see uh, after they construct the Ark of the Covenant, in some way, God's presence fills the Ark it fills the temple. There's always something that mediates his presence between him and us because we cannot look fully upon God. We just can't do it. We can't do it and live. We can't do it and survive. We can't get a picture of God in full. And so without Jesus in the picture, we don't get a clear picture of God. Without Jesus in the picture, we'll never get a full, clear picture of God, and that's because what we just read in Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus himself is the very essence of God. He is expressing God's character, God's nature, God's essence, all of it to us. Now, let me, let me give you an, an analogy. Hopefully this helps a little bit. I will just say this from the onset. It's not gonna be a perfect analogy. Honestly, any analogy that you hear that comes to describing God is gonna fall apart at some point because an analogy is comparing things and God's incomparable, right? So, but just follow me on this a little bit. So let's imagine uh, my, my dad, Charlie Young, 
there's, it's crazy. Our church has grown in so, so many ways that a lot of the people I'm seeing around here, probably half of you know my dad. The other half have never met him. You don't know who Charlie is, but I'm telling you, one of the greatest people you would ever get the chance to meet. Incredible guy, awesome guy. Uh, and I was thinking as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, what would be a good way for people to kind of get to know my dad and get a feel for my dad? I was thinking, I'm like, you know what would probably be a perfect thing is my dad's old office. He used to be a pastor at a church in Canton called Life Hope, and whenever he was the pastor down there, his office was set up, and it was like, if you wanna know who Chuck is, it's his office. <laughs> like he, had, he had his office set up, and it was just a, a piece of him, right? Like, you, you walk in, and, and me and Jeff uh, over on camera, we were talking about it in between services. He's like, man, as you were describing your dad's office, I could see it. Like, it transported me back there. Um, my dad had all these, like, die-cast models of cars, and he had those set up, and in the middle of them, he had a bust uh, of Abraham Lincoln. It's my middle name. He loved Abraham Lincoln. So he has that, he has the cars, he has a little trash can and it's got a little basketball hoop above it for him to practice some shots, get some shots in, throw in some crumpled up paper away. Uh, you could, you know, he's got everything, everything that like kind of fits him. He's got filing cabinets and in the filing cabinets, this was a funny thing about my dad. Um, he, he, even though he liked digital, he was still a print person. He liked printing things off and filing it. Um, and one of the things that he would file a lot of was cartoons, <laughs> just ridiculous. He would file cartoons. And so um, he would see like a funny one in the paper and think like, oh, I could use this as a sermon illustration at some point. And he'd cut it out and put it in there. And the funny thing is, if you were sorting through his filing cabinets, you'd see like, you know, sermons on faith and the file's about this big and then funeral sermons and it's about this big, wedding sermons and this. Then you go to the cartoons, there's like multiple files. <laughs> like there's just multiple folders, <laughs> priorities, right? You have to prioritize the really important stuff. So he loved doing that and you could see all those. He would post some of them up. So his office was like a great picture of like who he was. If, if I met somebody, if someone in here who's like, hey, yeah, I never met your dad. I'm like, all right, come with me. Here you go. Here's his office. Here's the key. Here's the code to the building. You have unlimited access to just spend as much time in here as you want. Look through anything. Man, you can, you can open up his computer. You can look at the old sermons he's preached. You can read the transcripts. You can do all of it. I could let somebody go in there. They could spend however long they want. And after they're done, they could come back out and go, I feel like I got a pretty good picture of who Charlie Young was. I, I feel like I know him in some ways. I feel like I can see him in some ways, right? Like they would have a pretty good picture of him, but not a full picture, right? Because there's certain things that just don't translate. You could spend all day in there, but there's certain mannerisms my dad had that you just would, you'd never get from being in his office. There's certain ways that he related to people, the kindness he had. Even if you could read it in the transcript of the sermon, even if you could hear it through the, the recording, it just, it hit different seeing it in person, being a part of it in person and living it as his son. It just, it was different. There's certain things that just don't translate through spending time in his office. But I'll tell you what, I could either give you unlimited access and unlimited time <clears throat> in my dad's office or one hour with me. And let me tell you, <laughs> you would walk away after one hour with me knowing Charlie Young. You would know him. You would be like, man, in some ways, I feel like I was with Charlie. In some ways, I feel like I just had a conversation with him because I'm his son. And I know my dad at such a deep, personal level. He, he was my best friend. We, we knew each other. We got the same kind of jokes. We thought a lot, uh, along the same lines, all these different things. And so, yeah, you could have all that access and it would be great. You would get a really good picture 
But man, once I enter the room, everything changes. Now you're getting a full picture of my dad. And now I can help interpret the office too. I can help show you why that's important and oh, why he has this here and why that comic was so funny. I add everything to it. Do you understand that's what Jesus is to our relationship with God and to the scriptures? That's who he is. When he walks into the scene, he instantly gives us a clearer picture of God. That's because Jesus, Jesus is God explaining himself. Jesus is God saying, for so long, people have misunderstood me and misattributed things to me and gotten it wrong. I'm coming and I'm gonna explain myself. I'm coming and I'm gonna just, I'm, I'm not gonna leave anything up to the imagination anymore. I'm gonna show people exactly who I am. Again, as it says in verse two, and now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through his son, he created the universe the Son is God, <laughs> Jesus is God, and it is God explaining himself. Jesus is bringing clarity, Jesus is bringing light to all that came before him, to all that will come after him. And again, I, I know it can sound funny, but this is a controversial statement to some people. Uh, whenever you say something like, uh, you know, if you wanna know what God is like, just look at Jesus. People can hear that and go, well, kind of. Part of God. It's only part of God is Jesus. It's, you're only seeing part of God if you look at Jesus. Uh, I actually saw um, uh, this posted online a, a while back, and like I get what the person was saying, but they said it this way. They said, for all my God looks like Jesus people, I would say Jesus looks like God. Jesus looks like Yahweh in the Old Testament. That's, that's who Jesus looks like, which I get the heart of what they're doing. They're, they're afraid that people are trying to like divorce God uh, from the New Testament, God and the Old Testament, separate Jesus, the Son, and God the Father. I, I, I get that. I understand what people are, are afraid of, but that's a silly thing to say, <laughs> to say that, well, God is like Jesus. It's not so much Jesus like God. The reason it's silly is this, and this is Bible study 101. Like, if you're studying Scripture, this is something you have to know right off the bat. It's a, a principle of Bible study. Whenever you are studying Scripture, what you do is you always use the clear to interpret the unclear. You always use the known to interpret the unknown. So if there's ever something that you're reading in scripture and it doesn't add up, it makes you question things, you're going, man, what is this about? What do you do? You instantly turn back to, okay, what do I know about God? What do I know about holiness? What do I know about sin? Like you turn back to what you know to give you clarity for what you don't know. It makes me think of like whenever uh, I was in school taking uh, tests, um, who, who with me, your favorite test was the multiple choice? Give, give me 25%. Give me that 25% that I can get the right answer. The only thing that drove me nuts is whenever it wasn't just A, B, C, or D, but they'd throw in the E, none of the above. Like, get out of here with that. That's not fair. That's not fair, right? Uh, <laughs> but I loved multiple choice tests, especially when it came to math. It's a good thing I'm the pastor, not the accountant, because boy, let me tell you, math is not my strong suit. In fact, so much that whenever I was taking my, uh, whenever I was signing up for college classes, my uh, instructor was, you know, looking at my scores. They're running through everything. They're like, everything looks good. Reading comprehension is fantastic. And then she sc like scrolls down a little bit and starts laughing. She goes, <laughs> gonna need to work on that math though. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, man, how bad is my math that somebody who looks at these scores all day long from countless people is laughing at mine, right? Like it's, it's bad. <laughs> so whenever it comes to math, I especially love multiple choice. Give me the multiple choice. 
Because how I've worked through it, and chances are, if you're anything like me, this is how you do it. When you get a multiple choice and the question is like, you know, find the incorrect statement. Then you start looking at the problem. You start looking at the different options. What do you do? You start with what's clear. You start with what you know. Like you're looking at it like, okay, well, I know that's right, so it can't be that one. And I know that's right, so it can't be that one. You use the clear to interpret the unclear. You use the known to interpret the unknown. You, you work backwards. The same is true whenever we study scripture. We always start with the clear. You always start with the known qualities. You always start with the things that you're certain about and then work backwards from there. I say all that to bring it back to talking about uh, Jesus and how Jesus is God explaining himself. That's why we start with Jesus. Because Jesus is the clear. Jesus is the known. Jesus is the certain quality that we can know, that we can see. Listen to how uh, the Gospel of John words this so much better than I ever could. This is from the book of John. We're going to read quite a few verses here from chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And by the way, whenever Scripture is talking about the Word here, uh, the word, the logos of God, it's talking about God the Son. It's not talking about uh, the Bible. That's not what John 1 is referring to. It's talking about Jesus himself. So in the beginning, the word, Jesus, already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We're gonna jump down to uh, verse 10. It says, he came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. And then jumping down to verse 17 and 18, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart and he has revealed God to us. That is why we start with Jesus. No one has seen God. No one has gotten a full 1080p high definition picture of God. We, we haven't gotten it, but Jesus, the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. Remember me talking about how God always needs a mediator? There always needs to be that mediator between him and us. That's who Jesus is. He is God himself mediating between us and God the Father. Jesus is the clear. Jesus is the unknown. And this is what's so important whenever we see that, whenever we see that uh, Jesus is himself, God revealing himself, explaining himself to us, we understand this, that Jesus didn't come with another word from God. Jesus didn't come with another word from God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is, he's making it so clear and the writer of Hebrews is making it so clear. Look, let's just get this out of the way to start with. 
I'm not talking about this guy coming and he's another great prophet, another great teacher, another great idea. He's not coming with another word from God or another mission from God. He is the word. He is the final word. He is the exclamation point to everything that's come before him. That's who he is. Jesus is not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He is the word. He is the word. He is God explaining himself to us. And I feel like the, the author of Hebrews is saying all this at the start because what we're gonna see as we continue in the series is Hebrews makes some pretty bold claims. <laughs> it, it, it has some pretty audacious claims and statements in the book. And I feel like the author is just saying, hey, before I get to any of those things, what we need to have is just a working foundational understanding is who Jesus is. Jesus is God explaining himself. He is not just another teacher. He is the final word of God. Another way to put it is that Jesus isn't just another chapter in the story God is telling. It's not like, ooh, this was all so good, and now I'm getting to the Jesus part. Ooh, exciting. Like, it's not, that's not what's happening in Scripture. When Jesus enters the picture, everything changes. It's like we said earlier, when Jesus enters the picture, everything changes for forever and for the better. We're not just in another part of the story. This is the culmination. This is everything that it's been building up to. The moment that the first cry rang out in Bethlehem on that night, everything was different. The world was not the same anymore. The world didn't know it yet, but the world had forever changed in that moment. Everything changed with Jesus. Everything hinges on him. He's not just another word from God. He is the word, uh, which leads me. I want to read one more uh, bigger section uh, of scripture. This is from the book of Matthew. This is from the book of Matthew. I told you we're going to be all over the place today. This is from Matthew chapter 17. Uh, the story we're about to read is the transfiguration. This is one of the most popular, well-known stories in all of scripture. This happens uh, just a little bit before Jesus is gonna be arrested and go to his death. But this is uh, what it says. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and he led them up, on a, uh, led them up high on a mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Imagine this moment. <laughs> like, uh, Moses and Elijah, if, if you don't have a, a big biblical background or anything, Moses and Elijah are like, they're it. <laughs> like, these guys are it. You have Moses, who is the lawgiver. You have uh, Elijah, who is like the prophet of prophets. These are two people who are the, the most revered, the most holy, the most like set-apart men in Israel's history. And boom, suddenly, here they are standing and talking with Jesus. Scripture continues and says, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. They're starstruck. They're like, this is incredible. This is nuts. Can we like make something to memorialize this moment? This is like the, I don't know, the earliest version of, can we get a selfie? Like, can we, can we like commemorate that we were here too, right? Can we build these memorials for you? So Peter says this, and then this is what happens, verse five. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus. 
man, there is so much to unpack in those eight verses. We could spend all day just on those. Um, I'm just going to take just a snippet of, of what we just read and kind of work through it. So Moses and Elijah, obviously two superstars, two very well-known, well-revered guys, but there's a lot of significance behind them being here in this moment. Namely, that whenever we hear people refer to the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus himself, Matthew chapter five, Jesus himself, when he refers to the Old Testament scriptures, what we hear a lot is the law and the prophets. That's, that's the summation of Old Testament scripture. Now there's some stuff that wouldn't typically fall into those categories. You've got the wisdom book of Proverbs, you've got Psalms and some other things like that. But that's how people would refer to the Old Testament scriptures as the law and the prophets. Well, guess what? Standing right there with Jesus, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration is the law and the prophets. You've got the law, you've got Moses. Have you ever wondered where the term the Mosaic law came from? Moses, because he was the mediator of that law. He was the mediator between God and man for that covenant. So you have Moses who's standing in as the lawgiver. He is standing in as the law. And then you have Elijah, the, the prophet of prophets, this guy who, who had unbelievable power uh, through God's spirit, emboldening him to do incredible things, to, to shutting the sky up where no rain would come, to calling fire down on an altar. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And they're standing there talking to Jesus, right? These are the two superstars of the Jewish faith up to this point. And then here's Jesus in the middle of them talking. And what I find so interesting as you read this, obviously the disciples are starstruck. But when God starts talking, did you notice he makes zero mention of Moses or Elijah? None. He doesn't even acknowledge that they're here. Right? He doesn't even acknowledge them in this moment. The disciples are absolutely starstruck. God makes no mention of him. What God does say is, this is my dearly loved son. Doesn't even address the other two. Listen to him. Listen to him. And then whenever they open their eyes, the only one left isn't Moses, isn't Elijah, it's Jesus. What God is doing in this moment is not saying that the law and prophets don't matter not saying, see, they evaporated just like the law and the prophets evaporate because the Old Testament doesn't matter. That's not what God's doing. What God is doing is saying, I want you to be so abundantly aware, this is my son. Don't you dare for a second think he's just another good word for me. He's just another prophet. He's just another teacher. Make no mistake who he is. Because at this point, the disciples were still wishy-washy. They would go between, hey, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, to then like, who is this guy? Like, what is, what's he really up to? Are we gonna overthrow the Romans or what? What's really going on here? And so leading up to Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, God is making the point, he is driving the point home. Look, this is not just another thing that I'm doing in the world. This is the thing. This is my final word. This is my son himself coming to explain me to the world. Jesus didn't come with another word from God. He is the word. He is the word. And so what that means, and this is so vital, this is so important for us to understand. And again, the writer of Hebrews drills this into us over the coming chapters. But what that means, that Jesus is not just another word, he is the, the word. What it means is that Jesus's place in scripture is not about balance. Like Jesus doesn't bring balance to the force. Like he, Jesus, Jesus doesn't bring balance to the scriptures. Jesus's place is not about bringing balance to scripture. Jesus is all about tipping the scales completely. He completely tipped the scales. 
And what I mean by bringing balance uh, is this, because a lot of times what can happen is we think that Jesus is just another word from God, that Jesus is just another piece of the story that God is telling. And so what we do is we'll be like, well, no, like I get it. Turn the other cheek. Jesus said that, I, I understand. But Moses... Remember, he's the lawgiver. <laughs> Remember, he, he's a pretty big deal. Remember what Moses said? And I mean, it's, it's in the Bible too. And so Moses said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. So I get it, I get it. Jesus, love your enemies, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But Moses also said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So we balance those things out, right? Like a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Moses. And I get it, Jesus' self-sacrificing love to the point that he is forgiving the people who are nailing his hands and feet to a cross, I get it, but Elijah, I mean, remember what Elijah did? He, he called down the fire from heaven, and then once the false prophets were shown for what they are, he had people go and slaughter all of them. So, I mean, yeah, I get it, self-sacrificing love, but there is a time, right? I mean, we, we balance Jesus out, don't we? We don't balance Jesus out with anything. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is not something that we balance out with the rest of scripture. Jesus tips the scales. Everything is weighed and slanted towards him. Again, Hebrews 1, 2. And now in these final days, God has spoken to us through his son. God is speaking to us through his final word of his son. And then in verse three, the son is radiating God's own glory and expressing the very character, the very nature, the very essence of God himself. Jesus has tipped the scales. One more piece of scripture that I wanna read that's not from Hebrews today. This is from John chapter five, verses 36 to 40. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day, uh, and this is what he says, starting in verse 36 of John 5. But I have a greater witness than John, he's talking about John the Baptist, I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice nor seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe in me, the one that he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Jesus is saying, you are so missing it. If I'm not the center of every scripture verse you're reading, you're missing it. It all points to me. Everything is foreshadowing me. All of scripture, do you wanna know why we love and why we hold scripture so dear? Because all of it, every single page, every single verse is a signpost pointing to Jesus. Every single page of it points to Jesus, that's why whenever we uh, have someone who comes to faith here at Cornerstone, the first book we give them, not that there's anything wrong with it doing it either way. It's, you know, people have their own uh, styles of study, but for us, whenever people come, the first thing we give them in their welcome packet after they accept Jesus is the Gospel of John. We give them the Gospel of John, not Genesis, and the reason we do that is because all of the scriptures point to me. And so we wanna start people off and saying, here you go, this is, the, this is the fulcrum, this is the hinge point of history, this is what everything hinges on. Here's Jesus, now dive in, right? Now go, because Jesus is the center. Jesus must be the center of all of scripture. The scales have been tipped completely his way. And when they're tipped his way, we start to see things for how they're supposed to be seen. 
what we talked about last series, Mindset Masterclass. We start to have our mind transformed and renewed to see things for how they actually are. Uh, it, sorry to mix metaphors here. I'm gonna mix metaphors real quick. Um, but it's kind of like uh, uh, whenever I'm reading, actually whenever I'm reading my Bible, I like to do it in my living room. The only problem is the lighting isn't too great. Uh, I, I like, we've got a really comfy chair. I like to sit in the comfy chair, but the lighting's not great by the comfy chair. So whenever I'm like left to, well, what am I gonna choose? Better lighting to be able to read or comfiness? Comfiness wins out every single time, right? So I stay in the chair and we have like a, a lamp over in the other corner of the room and it's a good lamp, like it's a strong lamp. Whenever you turn it on, it illuminates a lot, but the light, I mean, it's just, it's just a light bulb. So it's, the light is like kind of diffused around the room. You know what I mean? It's not a concentrated light beam or anything like that. So even though it's really strong, it's kind of diffused all over the place. And so even with that lamp on, I'll be over there squinting, trying to read and highlight and to make sure I actually highlighted the right verse, you know? So what I've started doing, which I don't know why I didn't do this from the start, but what I've started doing is like, okay, I'm gonna get the comfiness and I'm gonna get the lighting. <laughs> so I grab my phone out and turn on my flashlight, right? And then boom, suddenly like I can see through the pages. The pages become x-ray at that moment, right? The light is so bright. And the light is so bright because it's a concentrated light source. It's not just blaring everywhere, it's focused and it's centralized and it's concentrated. Now that light, for all I know, the power of the light on the back of my phone could be the exact same as the light from the lamp. The difference is one is just radiating around the room and the other one is focused and it's clear and it's central. And that's what Jesus is to our Bible study. That's what Jesus is to the scriptures. He takes what can feel so like, man, I, just, I was talking to people in between service, people who were saying this, this helped them a lot because they're like, man, there's so many times I've had questions and how could this happen and why did God allow this and why did God say that? And now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I need to read those verses again through the lens of Jesus. I need to look at those verses again with the light of Jesus illuminating it to see what it looks like when looking through his lens, when looking through his light. And that's exactly how scripture is supposed to be. Jesus has changed everything forever and for the better. Jesus brings clarity. Jesus brings light. That's why we tip the scales towards him. And the last thing I wanna say in closing as we get ready to uh, finish up today uh, is Jesus does, he, he does make everything better for forever and for the better. And one of the specific things that Jesus has given us that's better. In Jesus, we have something better. We have a relationship. We have a relationship with God. Listen to these two verse, or these two explanations one more time from Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the who? The prophets. The prophets. Prophets, that was a title. That was a office that people held. There was, there was a prophet in Jerusalem. There was a prophet in uh, Israel. You had Samuel, who was the prophet. You had Elijah and Elisha, who were prophets. You, this was like an official capacity, someone who God ordained, God appointed, and God would speak through. And so God would speak through this specific office of prophet. But then verse two, but now in these final days, he has spoken to us through who? His son, prophet, an official title, an official office appointed. Now he's speaking to us through his son. You know what a son is? It's personal, it's intimate, it's knowable, it's relational. 
Hebrews is letting us know God spoke to us, and it's incredible that he spoke to us. He spoke to us through prophets and through these appointed men and women of God, and we're so thankful for that. But in these final days, (laughs) he's done something better. He is speaking to us through his son, and he is offering us relationship with him. We we don't have to have a mediator anymore. God used to speak through these other uh, mediators. Now our mediator is God himself. Now our mediator is his son. It's it's Jesus himself. He is mediating the covenant between God and us, and we can actually have a relationship with God now. We can actually know God now. We can actually be in relationship with him. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. That God that we sung to earlier, think about those words again. How great is our God, the name above all names, worthy of our praise. Age to age, he stands, time is in his hands. That God can be in relationship with us. It's mind-boggling. It's astounding. And it's incredible. (laughs) God has offered something for us. He has offered a relationship with him. He has given us something better, a relationship. I don't know where your relationship with God is today. I hope you have one. I hope you are in relationship with him. I hope you have turned and decided, you know what, I am gonna follow Jesus as my king because I'm realizing I can actually have a relationship with God. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God today, whether you're in one or you don't even have one, I'd like to take a moment and just pray with you. If you would, could we just bow our heads, everybody online watching as well, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. We thank you so much for the fact that in him we get something better we get something transcendent. We, we get a full picture of you. We get to see exactly what you're like. We get the very character, the very essence, the very nature of you in the Son. And we can know you and we can be in relationship with you. We can talk with you. We can have communion with you. God, this is such an amazing, incredible thing. And God, I know there are most likely people in this room or people who are watching online today who do not know that relationship with you yet. They have not made that decision yet to to turn from the life they've been living to repent and to come to you and to put their faith and their trust in you. God, I pray over every single person who that's their case today that you would be drawing them in right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. You would be pulling them near to you. God, there's nothing that I'm saying in this moment that's making that happen. This is all you. This is all the work from you drawing us closer and closer to you. Do that in this moment, God. Pull on their hearts to pull them into relationship with you. And God, for all of us who have already made that decision, let us re-up our decision today. Let us say once again that, yes, I'm reconfirming that I want to have relationship with the God of the universe, that I want to step into this faith relationship, this covenant relationship with God, knowing that I can trust him because as he comes into my life, he is going to change everything for the better and for forever. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that we can rely on it and that we can build our life on it. We love you, Father, and we lift all this up in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.